It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. Well, I thought I was done ranting about this do not disturb crisis. For those of you who missed it the other day, I'm not going to do another 10 minutes on it, but uh, because I upgraded the operating system, my iPhone, the thing that had been very simple, which is you put on do not disturb on or off became this complicated thing with menus and submenus. And I thought I finally figured it out. It's important because that's where I do the podcast, not today. Today I'm in the office and hooked up to the New York studio. Probably the sound is a little better. Um, but if, uh, I get an email or a phone call, it can knock the recording out. And I believe me, I've had some bad episodes. So I finally figured out, I think, okay, I'm going to stop fetching about it. That's the technical term folks. And then it turns out even when it says do not disturb on, I'm still seeing all these notifications for emails, phone calls. It's not blowing up my phone, but it's distracting. So you know, what part of do not disturb do the iPhone makers not understand? All right. I said I wasn't going to go on about this. It is Friday. So happy Friday. Hope you have a great weekend coming up. We are once again literally uh, making lots of changes to Media Buzz. I figure out the program for this Sunday morning, 11 Eastern on Fox. Um, looks like the Daily Beast might be sold. One of the places that I've worked on my tour of the MSM. Uh, it's owned by Barry Diller through his company IAC, which also opens things like, well, there's a lot of things, uh, including matchmaking service, but also people, better homes and gardens, Southern living. And, you know, it's one of these, well, it's a hired investment bank to explore a possible sale. And, you know, it's not a great time for digital properties. It's not clear how much, if there is a sale, how much, uh, what the price might be. But I just try to keep you uh, up to speed on all this stuff that's going on, whether it's, you know, CNN trying to have a new look for its daytime anchors and maybe throw out some of the anchor desks and on and on and on. In case you were kind of feeling nostalgic for the Trump presidency, I'll just throw this in. Michael Schmidt of The New York Times did an update or a, you know, maybe it's a paperback uh, version of his book. It has an afterword or a foreword or whatever. Anyway. Behind closed doors in 2017, President Donald Trump discussed the idea of using a nuclear weapon against North Korea. This is before the love letters with Kim Jong-un. And suggested he could blame a U.S. strike on another country, according to a new section of the book. Um, And so it goes on to say, uh, according to the Schmidt book, uh, clearly he had some access to Retired General, former Trump Chief of Staff John Kelly. What scared Kelly even more than the tweets was the fact that behind closed doors in the Oval Office, Trump continued to talk as if he wanted to go to war. He cavalierly discussed the idea of using a nuclear weapon against North Korea, saying that if he took such an action, the administration could blame someone else for it to absolve itself of responsibility. Not quite clear how that would work. Um... Kelly telling uh, the president it'd be tough not to have the finger pointed at us since, uh, you know, it's not that hard to track where a nuclear bomb came from. 
who are you going to blame it on? Iran? Uh, uh, anyway, uh, Kelly brought in the top uh, military leaders to brief Trump about all this, uh, how there certainly was a danger of a nuclear war breaking out between the U.S. and North Korea, uh, the consequences, how many people would be killed, but none of that had any impact on Trump, according to this book. But fortunately, the crisis was diffused. Trump ended up making uh, having uh, several meetings with Kim, went to the DMZ, as everybody recalls. Uh, but, you know, in other people's books, and this all comes out later, it's like, well, Trump wanted to do this crazy thing and I stopped him. Okay, maybe, you know, the, the devil's advocate side is Trump was exploring options, wasn't really serious about dropping a nuclear bomb on North Korea, um, or, you know, wanted to see what his generals would say so he would know uh, how far he could go. I mean, I'm sure there are contingency plans for this. Yeah, hell, there are contingency plans for us to go to war with Canada. Anyway, let me get down to business because I got to talk about the Corvette and I got to talk about the media and I got to talk about Joe, Joe Biden and the Corvette. I now know is not it's briefly the most famous car in the world. 1967 Corvette Stingray. I've seen pictures of this. It. It's kind of a blue hue that the president of the United States has parked in his Wilmington, Delaware garage. And you know why this is coming up. So story number one, I got to say before I even get into this, and this is a continuation of what I was saying yesterday, but it is so much worse. The mishandling, I'm not talking about the mishandling of the classified documents. That's bad enough. But the mishandling of this entire episode by a team of pretty experienced government types led by, you know, a guy who was a senator for 36 years, vice president for eight years, you know, a couple years as president. His top advisors, his lawyers, they have just totally screwed this up. And what's fascinating to me as a media watcher is the way the tone in the media shifted. From, the original tone was like, uh, you know, it was kind of like, oh, my God, well, what's the matter with these people? But, of course, this is not anything like what Donald Trump did because Donald Trump, you know, he just sort of uh, – he knew he was taking those documents. And he thought they belonged to him. And he didn't want to give them back. And he, you know, held them up to his head like Kreskin, the amazing Kreskin, and said, you're declassified. Uh, and then he refused to give them back. And then there was a big subpoena battle. And he still didn't give them all back. Uh, and there's a possible a case of obstruction here. And then um, the FBI raids Mar-a-Lago and finds another 100 classified documents. Now, what did Joe Biden do? He forgot a few papers when he, after he was vice president. I mean, come on. How are you going to compare the two? This was the tone of the media, uh, even more aggressive than that. But then as the stuff dribbled out, the worst thing you can do is have stuff dribble out. The media got pissed. There was a news conference yesterday with Corinne Jean-Pierre in which she just got pummeled by the press, just absolutely hammered. And look, it, it, it's an uncomfortable position for a press secretary because she sent out 
with a certain set of talking points and basically told not to say much more. But she was there as the representative of the White House, and it just was amazing to watch because I think the press feels now that it got played. And let me clarify one thing. Yes, there's a criminal Justice Department investigation, and as you know, I guess I buried the lead, but everybody knows by now, that Merrick Garland walked out. He never takes questions in these situations, which I don't think is a good look, but he came out, made a statement. He has named a special counsel, Robert Herr, H-U-R. My only regret in this whole thing is that the guy's name is not Ben, but in any event, um, a Trump appointee, a former U.S. attorney in Maryland, uh, to investigate Joe Biden's handling of classified information. So you got one special counsel, Jack Smith, for Trump, and another special counsel, Robert Herr, for Biden. And Garland didn't have any choice. I mean, what was he going to say? I work for this guy. He named me attorney general, but I don't think this is a big deal, so I'm not going to name a special counsel. He had to do it. But here's the thing I want to clarify. There is nothing stopping the president of the United States from walking into the briefing room or setting up the chairs on the South Lawn and saying, here's what I know about this. Now, what has he said so far in a couple of brief responses? He said he doesn't know how these documents got to these places, that he was surprised. Okay, maybe somebody else made the mistake. Maybe he made the mistake. Obviously, they had to be signed out. They don't belong to the the former vice president at that point in time. They belong to the National Archives. In Biden's favor, you know, his team voluntarily, you know, contacted DOJ, turned the stuff over. But the way they've managed the public aspect of this. So originally there was just the one set of documents, said to be 10 documents, found at the Penn-Biden Center, this think tank office that he used rarely in Washington in a joint project with the University of Pennsylvania. Then suddenly, a second batch was discovered, but we weren't told where it was. I was getting ready for yesterday's podcast, and then I had to wait. I, I, I taped part of the podcast, and then it turns out that a special, the special lawyer, special counsel for Biden, I know these terms get confusing, Biden's basically, Biden's lawyer on this, Richard Sauber, put out a statement saying, yes, these were found, um, all these documents except one, were found in the garage of his Wilmington, Delaware home. And one document was found in a room adjacent to that garage, which appears to be the Biden personal library. It's not clear. Okay. So there's nothing stopping Biden from coming out and saying, here's what I know. Uh, I haven't seen these documents. He could send a trustee and ask to see them, and then he can come out and describe them. It's within his rights to do that. But even if he doesn't do that, he could say, look, this is the end of it. It was inadvertent. Somebody was sloppy. I'm glad the Justice Department is investigating. I want to tell you exactly what we know. We know about the Penn Center, the Penn-Biden Center. It wasn't exactly hidden. And then we know about the documents that were in my garage. 
And, you know, it was Fox's Peter Ducey who said, what were you thinking having these documents next to the Corvette? And Biden then kind of takes that bait and says, well, you know, the Corvette was in a locked garage. It's not like it's just sitting out on the street there. So that, so it's now, you know, garage gate or Corvette gate, whatever. But the point is, you don't want to make a mistake. You don't want to put something out and it turns out there was a third batch somewhere. But you have your people spend a day, two days, gathering the information. And you come out and you make as definitive a statement as you can, fully cooperating and all that, but we've searched all these different places. We haven't found any additional documents. Our search is over. It's in the hands of DOJ. I regret that this happened. It was inadvertent. Um, I will fully cooperate. Instead, at an event yesterday where Biden wanted to talk about inflation going down by about half a percentage point, he gets asked about it, and he pulls out this piece of paper, and he reads badly from the statement that Sauber had put out, his lawyer. And, he, you know, he stumbles his way through it. He should be looking into the camera. You can glance down at your notes. That's fine. And, and, and putting it all out, it should have been a one-day story. Not that this investigation would go away, not minimizing what, what, what happened here, but I am saying this was discovered six days, I believe it was, before the midterms. The Biden White House has offered no explanation. But particularly the reason that Corinne Jean-Pierre presser yesterday was so contentious and you had journalist after journalist and she kept saying, well, there's no need to be confrontational here. You had CBS's Ed O'Keefe. You had NBC's Kristen Welker. You had other people whose names I don't know asking the questions again and again and again and again. And she kept saying it's an ongoing process. It's an ongoing process. I would refer to you to the White House Counsel's Office. I would refer you to DOJ. It's an ongoing process. I'm not going to get beyond what the president said. Well, then she shouldn't have been there. Then Salber should have been there. And he's an experienced enough D.C. lawyer that he could have answered the questions. Instead, it looked, it smelled, it felt like they were scrambling to hide something. And, you know, the whole I would refer you to Dodge is, is complete bull because the White House Counsel's Office isn't commenting, and the Justice Department isn't commenting. So she knows it. She explains it. Well, the president's already made a statement. You know, the president takes this really seriously. She must have said that 10, 12, 14 times. All right, so let's look at the coverage. Uh, New York Times, new special counsel investigation, puts both Biden and his attorney general in awkward positions as another special counsel investigates his predecessor for his own mishandling of secret papers. And it talks about some differences between the two cases. Okay, fine. Goes on to say that under Garland's order, Robert Herr, by the way, veteran prosecutor who has taken on a lot of different kinds of tough cases, is authorized to prosecute any crime that results from his investigation. Now, I find this, I think that's fine. But it's a little puzzling to me because I thought in the case of the other special counsel, Jack Smith, who's looking into and is very active uh, issuing subpoenas and so forth, 
in the Donald Trump case, which, of course, is not limited to these classified documents. It also involves January 6th and other matters. Uh, it's been widely reported that Garland has the, the final say, although I think he would be loathe or hard-pressed to either indict if Jack Smith says there's no case here or not indict if Jack Smith says there is a case here. Now, maybe because it's, uh, it involves the president who he serves, president of his own party, he's going to let Robert Hur make all the decisions. That's fine. That's why, you know, it goes back to the Watergate days and the special counsel there who ended up getting fired by Richard Nixon and what a storm that created. And, of course, this story says, and by the way, Hur says, I will follow the facts swiftly and thoroughly without fear or favor. Um Biden said on 60 Minutes Trump was being irresponsible with these national secrets, and now he's got to answer to it. Um, The first statement released on Monday confirmed a media report about the first batch of classified documents discovered at his think tank in November, but made no mention of a second set found at his Delaware home in December. Only yesterday, three days later, did the White House confirm media reports. That one was broken by NBC, the second one about the second batch. So no wonder reporters were being aggressive. No wonder that they feel like they were misled. They feel like the White House was holding back information. In fact, CNN is reporting that since FBI agents have already talked to some of the people involved in this process from the Biden camp, that there were conflicting or accounts or a misleading narrative. So now this is the problem with these things. Then you get into, was there a cover-up? Was there a scramble to not put out all the facts? Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table, the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Washington Post has a piece on her because he was uh, the top federal prosecutor in Maryland for three years, named by Trump, and he had the backing of both uh, Democratic senators from the state. Here's Democratic Senator Ben Cardin. He's a true professional. And Cardin's a, you know, a big Biden booster. Um, he's been in this position before. He understands the sensitivity of this position. So her, who, you know, I never heard of before, has both, um, has many people vouching for him, a Democratic senator from Maryland, and also Rosenstein. Her worked with Rob, Rod Rosenstein when he was supervising the Mueller investigation. And Rosenstein says, Rob understands what he's getting into. He saw that Bob Mueller's experience was. He saw what Bob Mueller's experience was. He was our point person in managing the special counsel investigation. So he worked very closely with the Mueller team and understands what they faced. Interesting. So he's certainly been around the block. Um, Robert Herb played a key role in a scandal involving the mayor of Baltimore, Democratic mayor, former mayor, Catherine Pugh. She wrote a children's book that there was a lot of questions about bulk buying of that book. She ended up going to prison or being sentenced to three years in prison. Story two, let's look at some of the media reaction. Mika Brzezinski on Morning Joe. 
Documents in private hands is something Republicans downplayed constantly until the shoe was placed on the other foot. And unfortunately for them, the Trump shoe that dropped was much bigger, entirely different. Many Republicans aren't smart enough to figure that out. They can't figure out that this week's developments actually make it more likely that the DOJ moves on Trump because of the political space has been given by the Penn Biden Center and the garage that says, yes, it was sloppy. But I don't know that it makes it more likely that Trump is charged. I think it makes it less likely, but that's just speculation because uh, this is taking place behind closed doors. Chris Wallace, my former colleague on CNN, says it's just so astonishing. A bunch of clips were played. You know, you have these Republicans making excuses for Trump and then piling on Biden. It reminds me of Casablanca. Shocked to find out that there's gambling here. Um, yes, they're going to be investigating uh, just as Biden, just as they're investigating Trump. But given the fact that we just found out yesterday there was a third batch of documents, or at least one new document coming from Biden, I think it's the one that's in the room next to the garage, but I could be wrong. Um, you got to assume the new special prosecutor, special counsel, will be investigating that and whether we have found all of the Biden documents. And then Chris says, I remember when Biden went on 60 Minutes, says, how is this possible? It's just unimaginable. Well, turns out it's quite possible. Just a little note here. Adam Kinzinger, the guy who was on the January 6th committee, Republican, who is not will no longer be a member of Congress, is no longer a member of Congress as of now, takes a shot at Kevin McCarthy, says he's a piece of S. Let's just be honest about it. I don't think that's classy. You know, he can criticize McCarthy all he wants, but that just seems low. All right, story number three. Usually I would deal with this kind of thing at the end of the podcast, but I just think there's an enormous amount of interest in the sad and tragic death of Lisa Marie Presley, of course, Elvis's daughter. And it has a certain resonance for me, and this will totally date me, because when Elvis Presley died, this was back in 1977, and Lisa, unfortunately, was only nine years old. And equally, unfortunately, she, her death yesterday, uh, which started with cardiac arrest, she was only 54. She's not exactly ancient. Uh, there was an attempt to, you know, she was taken to hospitals, attempt to get her heart going, and sadly, uh, she died. But in 1977, when Elvis died, the three network newscasts, which were much more agenda-setting than they are today, had to decide what was the lead story. That or an important breakthrough on a proposed Panama Canal Treaty. Now, in the scheme of geopolitics, probably the treaty was more important. In the scheme of what people are interested in, not even close. So NBC and ABC ended up leading with Elvis's death. CBS led with the Panama Canal and devoted a grand total of one minute and 10 seconds, the death of Elvis Presley. And clearly that was the wrong call. I mean, it was just enormous interest in it. I mean, it's not even a debate today. Wouldn't even be a debate. Of course, now you have 24-hour news and news on your phone. And so, you know, what the first story is on, on a 30-minute news broadcast isn't as important. But it just reminds you of this. Anyway, just reading about her, man, she led a tabloid life and in some ways a sad life. Um, you know, be, she was always sort of famous for being Elvis's daughter. She made three albums. Uh, she got good reviews for some of those albums. Um, here's a quote. 
from something she told the Washington Post back in 2005. When her first record came out, I don't think they, the tabloids, liked it, that it did well. And when I did my first tour, they started a whole campaign to picture that I was losing it. I was gaining weight. I was miserable. I was drinking myself into these hysteric fits of eating because of bad ticket sales. They tried to make it like I was losing when it was the opposite. Um, but as she got older, she developed a certain sort of bluesy style that did very much echo that of her dad. She was married four times, once very famously, of course, to Michael Jackson. That lasted a couple of years. There ended up being an out-of-court settlement over claims of child abuse. Um, back in 93, Lisa Marie Presley inherited her dad's estate, valued at that time at 100 million dollars. She also started a charitable foundation, the Elvis Presley Charitable Foundation, which helped lots of people, including raising money uh, for people in New Orleans, displaced by Katrina. Um, as far as the four mar marriages, another one was to Nicolas Cage. Here's what she said. That's um, part of the problem with my love life. I think this is pretty self-aware. I'm looking for someone similar to my father, and nobody could ever compare. He was so extraordinary a presence, not even as an entertainer, just as a person. Yes, he sang well, and yes, the songs were great, but that was him coming through the music. He was bigger than life, and he still is. As I said, Lisa Marie Presley, um, you know, in some ways had a, a charm life, in some ways had a very tabloid life, and now she's no longer with us. 54 years old, it said. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Okay, let's move on here to some other stuff. So, I never even contemplated that this was a thing. But, looking at the news story here saying, back to politics, story four. Kevin McCarthy actually said yesterday that he's willing to take a look at expunging the impeachment of Donald Trump. Trump, of course, running for president again. Trump, of course, impeached twice. 2019 for withholding military aid in Ukraine in exchange for what he wanted Vladimir Zelensky to do regarding Joe Biden. And again in 2021, right after he left office, for inciting the Capitol right. In both cases, as the whole universe knows, he was impeached by the House, but he was not convicted by the Senate. So, supporters of floating these resolutions to expunge both impeachments, include uh, Republican Congresswoman Elise Stefanik, asked at a news conference uh, about this. McCarthy said, I understand why members would want to bring that forward. Then he ticked off other priorities that the House Republicans have to deal with, including the economy and immigration. And I guess I would just say, like, who would this fool? What, I mean, it's not like you have a criminal conviction and you get pardoned and therefore the conviction is expunged from your record. Donald Trump was and always will be in the eyes of history impeached twice. And he also was acquitted twice to, you know, pass some resolution because the Republicans take over. I don't know. 
you know, when history books are written 100 years from now, is it going to say, well, he wasn't really impeached because they, they, they took it away? I, I, it just seems like a futile exercise. Will the Democrats go back and expunge the record of Bill Clinton being impeached? It's the same thing. He was also acquitted by the Senate, a Democratic Senate. And it doesn't change the fact that the country was put through the ordeal of impeachment. This was true with Nixon and the House Judiciary Committee. It was true with Bill Clinton and true twice with Donald Trump. Okay, story number five. All the good puns have already been used. That this whole story is just gaslighting. That the story was simmering and now it's boiling over. I'm talking about gas stoves. Now, maybe the last couple of days you haven't noticed that gas stoves have become a very big deal. But don't let me get you overly riled up because if you like your gas stove, you can keep your gas stove. So what happened is that in December, a bunch of scientists who are sort of on the environmental side of things published a study. They didn't do new research. They look, it's one of these study of studies. They looked at research that had already been done. And they concluded that natural gas burning stoves account for almost 13% of childhood asthma cases in the U.S. Now, some environmentalists have been making this case for a long time, saying the pollution emitted by these stoves makes them inferior and you should get an electric stove. And in fact, there's been, um, in the U.S., there's been an incentive. You get a certain tax credit if you get an electric stove. But I'm, the idea, that the way that this blew up just kind of amazes me. What happened is, in an interview with Bloomberg, one single member of the Consumer Product Safety Commission, it's an independent federal agency that regulates some products, overseas recalls. This one commissioner, Richard Trumka Jr., and you, of course, recognize the name. His father was um, the famed labor leader. He's a member of the CPSC, Consumer Product Safety Commission. He said, this is a hidden hazard. Any option is on the table. Products that can't be made safe can be banned. Whoa. Okay, so based on that, there was this whole media furor, um, members of Congress writing to the commission saying we ought to have stricter rules. But there's not going to be a ban. For one thing, the Safety Commission doesn't really have the power to regulate anything that's outside I don't know. It's not that this shouldn't be talked about, but suddenly, suddenly, you've got National Review saying Biden administration considers banning gas stoves over health concerns. Yeah, Biden administration in the sense that one person, this is all from a piece in The Atlantic about how just amusing this is, that one person said, yeah, hey, maybe we're going to do it. Um, Fox Business had a piece from the American Gas Association. You can imagine what its position was. Uh, AOC got, excuse me, flamed on Twitter over this. And then the commission itself put out a statement saying, although research indicates that emissions from gas stoves can be hazardous, and the CPSC is looking for ways to reduce related indoor air quality hazards, um, 
The chairman said he's not looking to ban gas stoves, and the CPSC has no proceeding to do so. And the White House says President Biden does not support banning gas stoves. So the whole thing is just a typical, like, let's all get excited here for two days about this because one person shot off his mouth. And is it really 13%? Is it really a tie to childhood asthma? I don't know. I once had an electric stove. They're okay, but it's harder to control the exact temperature. On the list of things that we need to worry about in the universe, you know, gas stoves, which have been successfully used for, what, over a century, I don't think makes the top 500. I mean, I'd be a lot more concerned about climate change. I'd be a lot more concerned about auto safety, and I'd be a lot more concerned about an FAA that has to shut down takeoffs and landings because of a computer system that didn't work. I mean, I'd come up with 500 things, literally, that I'd be more worried about than gas stoves. But, you know, it gets, gets everybody gets riled up. Oh, well, you know, the administration, look at this overreach. And then Biden has to come out and say, no, we're not doing this. Anyway, I will say once again that I hope you have a great weekend coming up. I hope you'll check out Media Buzz. Got a lot of stuff to deal with, including some of the topics we have discussed here just today. I hope you'll subscribe to our podcast if you are not already getting it in your inbox. Appreciate the time as always. We'll see you back here Monday with more BuzzMeter. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts and via Apple Podcasts, and Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts.